Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. And speaking of the heart, we are talking about what it is to be broken wide open and to heal from heartbreak. My first guest is the wonderful Susan Anderson, who is the author of the Abandonment Recovery Workbook, as well as Taming Your Outer Child and the Journey from Abandonment to Healing. Susan Anderson is the founder of the Outer Child and Abandonment Recovery Movements. She has devoted the past 30 years of clinical experience and research to help people resolve abandonment and overcome self-sabotage. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Let's talk about abandonment because people, you know, they'll they're in a very cavalier way throw out, well, I have abandonment issues. But what does this really mean? Well, abandonment is the underlying wound that all human beings carry. We, it's a universal concept because we all were born and we all experienced the initial separation from that which was making us comfortable. And then, you know, at, at the beginning of life, we're, we're gathered up into our, our parents' arms and made to feel warm and, and we're, we're fed and, and we feel good. And then we're put back in a crib and we experience the separation. So there is an innate uh, ability of the brain to, to lay down traces of these experiences. And then as we go through life and we go through divorce or we go through a breakup or a friend uh, re- doesn't call us back or we go through any kind of rejection, a firing, it, it triggers that initial abandonment fear, which carries a lot of shame. And so that is the undercurrent that makes going through all of these separations and disconnections so painful. And when you talk about shame, describe a little bit how shame plays a role in in abandonment. 
Well, if you think of shame, it is sort of an, a vein that runs through each human being. Some people have an awful lot of shame running through there, depending on what experiences they had and maybe their temperament. Um, but shame and abandonment are hand in hand because when you abandoned, you then feel ashamed of not being powerful enough. So putting it very primitively as an infant might, you just might feel helpless lying in your crib, unable to bring, you know, mommy back to the crib side to, to hold you. Um, when you go through grade school and you're not picked on the, you know, on the football team, you may feel ashamed of just not being big enough or strong enough or not having, you know, not having come forward enough. And when you go through a, a heartbreak in high school, you, you, it, it sends a little, a little um, like a, a dart into that shame vein. It nicks it and and creates an awful feeling of not being enough, not being, oh, I don't know, popular enough or pretty enough or, or successful enough in school. And so as you go through life, you accumulate various feelings about yourself that you're not you're not enough if you have in childhood for instance if you've been sexually abused or emotionally abused within your family it makes you feel as a child ashamed somehow that this is happening to you and that you haven't been able to fend it off that you're supposed to not let this happen and there's guilt and shame in that vein running through each of us so abandonment triggers it and it's always there but little triggers can actually you know send a little like a dart into that shame vein mm. and create extra pain so is is what you're suggesting that uh, our sense of abandonment is almost like a primal wound that it becomes it's embedded or encoded into um, the the reptilian parts of our brain. Yes. That, yeah, because that's what I'm hearing you say. And that when these when these um, when this gets triggered through losses or trauma, that um, all of this old material then swells up and and and. Um, You've got you so appropriately talk about the five stages of abandonment as a, a swirl. As a swirl, you you wind up when it gets triggered in a big or small way. We swirl through this these phases that ha, that that tap into the the feeling of panic that we're never going to be able to survive without that connection, without that job, without that friend. And then feelings of yearning for that love and attention and affection and approval that we need to sustain ourselves. And then that's the in the rate the withdrawal phase. Shattering withdrawal is the second swirl spells as shattering withdrawal withdrawal internalizing rage and lifting. And then in the middle phase, internalizing, that's when the shame really gets pronounced. And then in rage, we resent the situation. And in lifting, we we kind of have intervals of peace. And we swirl through these phases over and over again as we go through life, and especially as we get triggered in adulthood um, by, you know, losing a love or being fired or, or being dissed by a friend. You know, and in the fourth phase or stage that you talk about, this rage phase, this is one that I think particularly women are challenged by because we're taught not, we're taught to be good little girls and not to express our anger. Very much so. Of course, men have difficulty with it too for other reasons. There are so many socialized parts of this that have to do with our culture. 
But, you know, we, especially if we are abandonment survivors of childhood, and almost all of us are because childhood <laughs> is fraught, you know, um, but then we will tend to have difficulty expressing our anger directly because especially to the abandoner very often, because we're afraid of losing another drop of love from that person, a, another drop of approval. So the person who hurts us the most sometimes is the one we don't turn to, to with direct communication. So we tend to take it out on our friends by by talking their ears off and then having them say things to us like, oh, just let go and move, move forward. And then we become enraged with them and our rage comes out at them. But we're not we're not going to the boss and and using appropriate communication to lay out our grievances or to stand up for ourselves. And yes, women, of course, are considered um, negative for being assertive and for they, they that you know all kinds of little words are used about women who even try to do things like that um, share some of the biological reasons why it takes so long for us to heal from these losses in, in some cases for some of us it's a lifetime it's a lifetime um, because when the uh, as you said it's a primal wound abandonment fear is a primal fear and the wound that we carry is primal so it's embedded in the brain from early infancy because of course the the um, the part of the brain that that has you know memory that remembers you know actual events that part the hippocampus isn't developed until later but the amygdala the the part that that records situations that feel threatening such as being born into you know the cold the cold room and all the lights or you know being being put back in the crib um the the um the the early uh in sort of the the imprinting we could say in the brain is laid down so it's in the brain and then as we go through life um, different experiences are also picked up by this amygdala, which is the mammalian, you know, center of the brain, and so it is embedded in the life and in the in the brain. So that when we're in adulthood and we feel rejected, we have this highly charged reaction to it because you know it was a trauma that already happened. So it's sort of like a post-traumatic kind of oh my god, this is a terrible thing. So we have this very heightened reaction and it, it confuses the brain or it confuses our sort of thinking apparatus in the brain into thinking that the abandoner is very special. Mm. And so we have in some level, even though we're very angry inwardly at these people who have, who have made us feel neg neglected or dismissed or slighted in some way or rejected, we hold them in a very important place in the mind. They have a tremendous amount of power. You know, it can ruin the whole, you know, your whole day if you're out minding your own business and you're getting over heartbreak and you're, you see your lover walk by, especially if he or she is, is with another person. You know, it can actually create almost as if you've seen a grizzly bear coming down on you. Your whole nervous system goes awry because that person has become so attached to so many threat responses in your amygdala that you have this gigantic reaction as if this is the most important person in the world and you know <laughs> and it keeps us very confused and holding that abandoner as special 
and it includes people who we're in current relationships with, but who are hurting our feelings all the time. You know, relationships that make us feel, you know, uh, less than or insecure. Those people are hard to let go of because the brain gets tricked into thinking that if they can cause this much pain, they must be so special. And so we chase the unavailable and feel hooked on the unavailable. Mm. And it's the unavailability factor that makes us you know, have such a hard time letting go of it. And this is sort of a, an ongoing lifelong recovery process that we need to be in. And we to, to really get it to work properly, we need to get engaged in real tools that, that turn this around. And we're going to jump off to a break. And I want to send our listeners over to um, Susan Anderson's website to learn more about the Abandonment Recovery Workbook, please visit www.abandonment.net. On Twitter, you can connect with Susan at Susan underscore Anderson and on Facebook, Susan Anderson LCSW. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. That's a promise. We are not abandoning you. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness, because happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And you or someone you know who may be dealing with the recovery from a loss 
could find something useful here. We're talking about being broken wide open in healing from heartbreak with Susan Anderson, the author of the Abandonment Recovery Workbook. Susan, prior to the break, we had identified what abandonment is, why it is so embedded in our primal responses. Let's share some tips with the listeners of about what to do about it, how to regain control or better regulate ourselves. Yes, well, people who've been struggling with this issue and kind of know they have it discover that it, it, they can't just snap their fingers. Insight alone doesn't cure it. Um, you know, people can go to therapy for 10 years and still have these primal abandonment um, issues that interfere in their life, especially in the form of insecurity, intrusive insecurity that sabotages their work performance and their, their you know, their love life, etc. Um so there's no magic bullet, but there are things that we can do because we don't think our way out of the abandonment syndrome. We do our way out of it. And the doing is, a, you know, it's like physical therapy for the brain. When you have a, you know, you're, you're, you have a, a wrist that doesn't work anymore and you go to physical therapy, you're given exercises that seem like nothing. What? I do this five times a day? But then if you go for a month, you suddenly have the use of your wrist comes back and very soon you have full capacity. So that's what the exercises for abandonment recovery really do. They help to retrain your brain because they're working with your behaviors, which then become part of the habituated system. And as they get into your 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 patterns they they reprogram the patterns that you have and patterns are the plague of abandonment survivors because you know childhood abandonment gets played out in patterns of self-sabotage i call those the outer child patterns and like the biggest one that is i get mail about all the time and people come to the workshops to work on is a pattern i call abandonalism it's an outer child pattern where you're attracted only to the unavailab- uh, the unavailability of the person. If they're emotionally unavailable, you chase them. And, and fully available and participating and want to spend time with you and want to spend more time with you, then you lose interest. And this pattern plagues so many people, so many celebrities who are very eligible and have a choice of a million different partners, anyone they want, and they think, I want to fall in love, I want to start a family, I want to settle down. And they try to find someone who will sustain their interest. But when they are able to fully capture that person and get over their insecurity, which everyone has initially, when they're able to get over that and they're no longer in pursuit mode, they find, oh, somebody else looks more attractive. And this plagues people who are attracted to the unavailable and who keep breaking up with people. It also plagues the rest of us who are maybe the ones who are being left behind because we become available and the person we're, we're trying to be with loses interest. And, and, and talk about how the self-sabotage comes, comes to the fore because a, a lot of us do this and we're not aware of it. You yes. know, we, get, we get what we want and then we don't want it. Well, the self-sabotage is the whole pattern is because 
people want, they want to find a lasting relationship. They want to get out of their cycles of abandonment and re-abandonment where every relationship seems to end the same way. They want it so badly, but what do they do? They sabotage it by having this pattern of somehow ingeniously picking the unavailable, picking people who in the end are going to walk away from them. So now you take a pattern like this, and I have people coming to my workshops who've been working on it diligently with therapy and self-help. And it turns out that there is something that we can do about this, something big. It's called abandonment recovery, and it's a step-by-step program that has a zillion um, exercises and tools. And that's what motivated me to write the workbook, because it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, comprehensive way to change your patterns, to change your behavior, to change your relationship with yourself into a, a loving self, you know, radically, um, you know, unconditionally loving self. It's an amazing transformation, but it is work intensive, of course, as any substantial program is. So the workbook makes it easy to go from point A to point B through all the different steps. And I, I, I think that the ch- changing the relationship with yourself, of course, is, is number one. But number two, um, it will, by having the support of the workbook, and then also you suggest within the workbook about having abandonment support, you know, being with others who are on the path. But, but what about somebody who has experienced the death of a loved one, where the abandonment is uh, real in that the physical form of the relationship, not the relationship itself, no longer is. Yes. Well, those people are also going through abandonment. And in fact, if there was any um, unresolved business in the relationship or they feel regretful that they didn't get to tell the other person how much they love them and then they feel that person was abandoned by them, you know, it, it triggers all that abandonment stuff. I mean, so many people go through the death of a loved one and sometimes felt unloved by that person and can never then um, be free of that abandonment feeling until they start to work on it to resolve it. So just the loss itself is an abandonment issue because you're at loss for something you're attached to. And it even will nick that shame vein that I talked about. The, it will send a little, a little poison dart into that shame vein and create some shame over how painful it is to go through the loss, over how much we needed that person. So death also... Um, so losing someone and bereaving of any kind, dealing with loss or disconnection of any kind, is becomes an abandonment process. And abandonment is not just, I think, in the form of relationship, although I know that's primarily what you're speaking of, but perhaps it's a shift in status, perhaps it's a change in lifestyle, or I mean, you look back on the recession and people who've lost homes and businesses and their savings, this too is an abandonment of the life that we once knew. Everything you just named has has shame attached to it, a loss in status, um, nicks that shame vein. It sends that dart into the vein of shame and creates leakage into the system. Losing money does the same thing. It's similar to a loss in status, but it also loses spending power and you're suddenly, you know, struggling to, to pay your bills and there's shame associated with that. Losing a job, losing, you know, or not being, not being, um, you know, 
uh, hired by an, a job you're pursuing or not getting a raise or not getting recognized. So it isn't just relationships. It's your relationship with yourself and how you fit into the world and how you perceive yourself sort of in the overall pecking order, you know, how you evaluate yourself in the world. So anything going on, you, you'd move and you no longer have all of that reassurance from all the familiar places, your dry cleaner waving as you walk by or, you know, all of that is gone for a while and you're in a new place where you're a stranger and you don't know why you feel so lost and depressed, but it's because... All of those little reinforcements are gone. You're in loss, but you don't realize it. And so you have that, you know, that shame of not being recognized, even though it's irrational because you're new, you know that intellectually, but you have all that going on under the surface. You know, it's making perfect sense what you're sharing. And something came to mind as you were speaking in the the words that you shared were getting recognized. And if we look back to the primal wound that you're speaking of, when the parent or the caregiver would come and take us from the crib or soothe us or coddle us, it was recognition. Of course, it was comfort, but it was recognition that you matter. We matter. Yes. And you learned as a baby, you were sort of trained in a way to smile and gurgle and make cute faces, or you may have initially made them spontaneously, of course. But eventually you learn that to be a pleasing baby, to be lovable, to to somehow endear yourself because you're trying to draw people to your needs. You're trying to control your world in every possible way that you can because you have needs you can't meet yourself. So you yes. need to have, have love of other people. And that's where we learn the anxiety of what if I can't, when we get old enough to have sort of the brain starts to think and make assumptions, it isn't yet an intellectual process, but uh, it's an anxiety about what if I can't, what does it mean that my my mother's in the room right there and I'm crying and hungry and cold and she's not coming to me, I'm not special, I'm not able to, I don't have magic in me, I can't make her come, there's something, I'm missing something, I'm putting words to it, young children yes. may not have the words. But that's where it all stems from, is that initial time of feeling lacking capacity. And uh, we're almost out of time, but I want to mention one one more thing that you talk about in your book, which, by the way, I think is wonderful. It is a powerful toolbox that I recommend to anyone who is going through loss. Um, And you mention about a dream, heartbreak coming in the form of of an unfulfilled dream. Oh, yes, we li- we have all these unlived lives. And yeah. because we choose this, we we neglect that choice. That's why make, sometimes people are commitment phobic about people because they choose this person and, oh, they might be missing an opportunity to be with somebody even better or whatever. Um, so there are the loss of a dream is an enormous trigger for abandonment. Many people are afraid been hurt so much by their dreams not being fulfilled they're afraid to dream they've given up their dreams oh abandonment recovery gets them to restore their dreams and work step by step to achieve them but people do have this loss of dream abandonment pervasive feeling going on on a day-to-day basis Um, I want to uh, send our listeners your way to learn more about Susan Anderson and her work. Please visit www.abandonment.net. On Twitter, that handle is at Susan underscore Anderson. And on Facebook, Susan Anderson LC 
SW. Once again, the book is The Abandonment Recovery Workbook. Thank you for being with us, Susan. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It was my pleasure. Oh, likewise. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back with more, and that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. And speaking of the heart, today we're talking about heartbreak, what it means to be broken wide open and healing from heartbreak that all of us endure at one point or another in our lives. My first guest is Christine Carlson. She's a New York Times bestselling author and world-renowned speaker. She's passionate about spreading her message of returning from grief and waking up to a life with more joy and gratitude and certainly not taking life too seriously. Christine Carlson's mission expands upon the phenomenal success of she and her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson's work in Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. She continues his legacy of peaceful and mindful living through her own best-selling books, including the most recent, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Moms, An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, The True Story of the Best Gift Ever, and her, and let me just read you that last line. We'll pick it up from Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Moms, An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, 
the true story of the best gift ever, and her memoir, Heartbroken Open. Welcome, Christine, or welcome back, I really should say. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. So nice to be back with you. Oh, I, I likewise. You are up to some pretty cool stuff. I mean, I want to I want to get into, um, you know, your story and 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 what has led you up to the work that you're doing today. But there's some really cool things going on. And in, in in this sense, we often think of our our heartbreak and our healing and the dark side and the sadness of what we go through. And so much of your work today is now focusing on what's next and looking to create a life of joy and meaning moving forward. Yes, it is. And, you know, it's exactly where I'm at in my own process and my own journey. And I'm kind of one of those, I guess you could say one of those wounded healers that leads by, you know, going through and then I lead because I've, I've gone through something. And certainly um, my husband passed away quite suddenly 10 years ago this December. And um, it was a really, you know, dramatic, very sudden loss. Um, he wasn't ill or anything and he, that we knew of. And um, he was on a routine flight promoting his latest book. And he was going into New York. And on the descent of that flight, he had a pulmonary embolism. And he um, died really instantly, very suddenly. So it was um, definitely unexpected. And sometimes that kind of um, very shocking loss um, really has such an impact. It's, it's for me, I consider it my greatest awakening. And the, the odd part is I, I didn't really realize I was sort of living more asleep to, you know, how my life was so wonderful. Really. I, I had kind of gotten lulled into the complacency, if you will, of success and, and just, and wasn't feeling my life like I was feeling it after and in grief. And, and that was a really, um, truly amazing awareness for me. Um, in my journal one day, I just, I was writing and I was like, Oh my God, I've been heartbroken open to feeling my life. And, and I've been feeling very deeply ever since I'm glad to say it's, it's been amidst, um, a huge change and transition and going through tremendous grief. It's, there's also been many, many gifts. Yeah. And this is the way the universe seems to work, isn't it? That we are uh, dealt a hand that is sometimes not easy to play. And the resiliency of the human spirit and the desire to um, to survive. You know, I think that when these bad things happen, we're not even talking about thriving. We're just talking about getting through the next day at first. That's right. And, you know, that is the truth that for everyone going through loss, there's whatever time period it is for you, there is just that eat, sleep, breathe, move kind of pattern. I mean, it's, it's really horrible. The first, you know, I, I remember so well those first days and I just remember never having felt so stunned and so just, just in such a state of shock and not being able to eat and not being able to sleep and not being able to, you know, just do anything, but just get through each moment. Like it felt like each moment was like an hourglass moment. It was like, Oh my God, is this ever going to end this length of time? (laughs) Yeah. And here, here we talked about how wonderful it is to be present. And that is the one thing that, you know, in those times you're, you're, you know, I, you're just like locked into present moment, 
but it's so painful. You know, what you're going through is such a, it's such a painful experience that I remember just thinking it was never going to end. <laughs> yeah. And it does. And, and, and the, the bright side is that it does end, but does. You know, something, something came to mind as you were speaking about, you know, the desire for our grief to end, the desire for sadness to end. And when in fact, it's when we can sit with it, which oftentimes we only realize it afterward, but the ability to sit with it and move through it and not resist it actually facilitates the passing of it. It absolutely does. And of course, after the first four days that, that occurred to me quite, quite strikingly was that I really needed to surrender to it and allow grief to do its work. You know, I, I didn't think of grief as the enemy. I kind of really thought of grief as my friend because what was the enemy was my resistance to grief. I, I would feel my stomach tie up in knots and would know that it was, I wasn't allowing myself to be, you know, be in that place of crying or releasing. And so much of grief is just is about allowing your body to heal itself and, and your mind to heal through your body. Even I, I was really acutely aware of my body instructing me about, about grief. And, and that was a really fascinating process for me because I didn't even know that, you know, I had no idea that that was how it would play out, but I did know. And I intuitively knew that, um, as soon as my kids went to school, because we were a family of, you know, I had two teenage daughters. They were both in high school. And um, we were doing that dance of, you know, when, of like grieving together, but also like there's a grieving pattern and everybody has their own pattern. Mine seemed to be three days in, three days out, three days in. My youngest daughter, she, she didn't go through grief for the first year. She was in denial. And then my oldest daughter went right through with me and in, you know, and left home because she was graduating from high school and she was going to college. And so we went, literally went from a family of four to a family of two in six months time. So, and, 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 you know, I'm just thinking again, another loss. I mean, you, the, the loss that you experience of your husband is, you know, it's an ultimate loss, the loss of a loved one. But there are also all these other losses that happen, you know, when a child goes to college, when there's a divorce, when there's a loss of a job or a home or um, a medical crisis. Yeah, I, it was, it was pretty incredible Although I have to say that, um, when you're going through a major loss, like huge loss, like I was, I mean, losing your a spouse that you love, that you're super connected to is, is like, for me, it would be, there's only one worse loss and that would be to lose my child. And, yes, you know, so I, I when you're going through that, like all the other losses kind of just get, they just kind of get thrown in the pot, you know? <laughs> Like, like you're not really sure which one you're grieving at which time because the grief, the grief <laughs> pot is just like stirring up, you know. So, I I didn't know why I was crying or for what I was crying half the time. <laughs> but all I knew was that crying was a necessity for me, and I needed to empty. And I I always teach that with people, you know, that it's like grief is it fills up like. Like if you could just fill up a pitcher and it, and it gets to the top and you've got to empty it out. And sometimes that means, you know, laying on the floor and just crying, you know, crying and screaming. And 
Sometimes it means laughing hysterically. And sometimes it means, you know, hitting pillows. You know, I did all of it. I did all of it. And, and I went through all of it and I don't, you know, I love like Alanis Morissette has, you know, her, her song always rings in my head. It's like all the way out is in, you know, (laughs) you can't, you can't like leave grief. You can't leave grief for another day, but it will always be waiting for you until you go through it. And, and, um, and it's layers, you know, it's layers and it's an individual process. And, but the, the beauty of going through loss is that there's really just two ways that you can go through, like you can decide how to, you know, play that hand you're dealt. And, and there is a decision to be made and, and it, and it's, it's a fork in the road and you're either going to be like, I'm going to stand in this and I'm going to be victorious over this at some point, or I'm going to be a victim of it. And, and that was a really clear, um, scope for me. I could see both of those choices very clearly and I could see myself in both of those choices. But what really struck me, um, was that I knew in my heart that the way to honor my life and to honor my husband and to honor his life's work and to honor my journey was not to be a victim in this, but to really focus on the fact that for, you know, 22 years, 25 years we were together, I had been so blessed with tremendous joy in that marriage and in that partnership. And we had been blessed on so many levels. I mean, we were we'd experienced enormous success for such young people. And I just, I really thought about all of that. And even though it didn't make me less angry. It didn't make me grieve less. It didn't make me not go through anything. What it did help me do was be able to stand up every day and say, you know what? This is part of life. This is my life. I'm going to own this like I owned all the blessings of my life. And, and this was no accident. I've got to learn from this. And for whatever reason, I may never know, this is what my destiny holds for me right now. And and I'm going to do it. And I, that's, I was determined to, to do that and to be in it and to learn from it and to grow from it. And I think that's the kind of gut determination, like that kind of true grit that you need in order to you really get the most, get the maximum out of those losses and those experiences, which serve Christine, us greatly. We're going to need to jump off to a break. I apologize for interrupting oh, you, but we, we got to go. Okay. We are going to skedaddle off to a break and we will sure. come back. To learn sure. more about the work of Christine Carlson, please visit christinecarlson.com. Here come the tunes or they're probably already running as we speak. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org.
Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about good grief with Christine Carlson. She is a New York Times bestselling author and world-renowned speaker. Christine, prior to the break, we were talking about your experience, your journey um, through the loss of your husband with whom you were deeply connected and, and married for a long time, and the wounded healer that was born as a result of this journey. I mean, real hardship, real loss, real sadness, and the... Um, positive uh, gifts that came from a very dark place. And I think that is a, a part of the myriad of gifts that you give to people who read your books, that attend your workshops. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that evolution now to, um, to where you're at with what now, because that's a, that's a new project, which is very exciting. Yeah, thank you so much. I, um, you know, I really just decided um, that one of the ways that would really fill my heart with joy would be to offer more mentorship um, to women and offer myself in a much more personal platform than than the way we had previously in our books. And so I designed a program a couple of years ago um, really to help women who are going through a really large change and transition, either in their career or their kids are leaving the nest or they've gone through a loss of a divorce or they're widowed just, just for any reason that they might be feeling and asking that question, what now? So it's really a program that's designed to take a deep dive into you as a woman and who you are now, because a lot of times we find that after years we've, lived a life and we've let go of some passions and joys and things to live the life that we've lived. And we have to go back sometimes to retrieve those things and to figure out, like to answer that question, well, what does nourish my spirit and soul now? And the program is really designed for you to do a deep inquiry into who you are now at this stage of your life. And what do you believe and what do you value? And are your um, actions lining up with your values? And it's a true personal growth program and where there's um, a mentorship from me in the program. So yeah, so it's been really gratifying and um, we recently launched it online so that most of the work is done individually and then once you complete the work, you're qualified to attend a What Now retreat with me, um, a weekend, a very intimate weekend with only 10 women. So yeah, that's it. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty cool and, and very unique. I like the way that you're doing this, where we get to do the work and sort of digest what you're asking us to do in the process. And then there is the connection, you know, the uh, the communing, the fellowship, which is, I think, where we do our best work. That's really part of the secret sauce, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah. The retreats are wonderful. We do just a lot of circle work, a lot of completion work. And the beauty is that everyone's gone through the What Now program. So there's a language that we can talk and that we can sit in circle together and really celebrate um, all that we've learned together. So, yeah, I love it. It's 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 super powerful. And I lead other retreats, too. I've, I've taken women to Italy and all around the world. But this this is my really my favorite retreat, the What Now retreat. And where does the physical retreat take place? Well, right now I'm just doing them in Sea Ranch on the Mendocino coastline. That's where I have a home and I rent two houses right next door. And so I have it all kind of dialed in to, you know, how to do those retreats there. We do yoga every morning and we share our meals together. We go on hikes, we do circles. It's really fun. Oh, it's beautiful, blissful sea ranch. Every, everyone has an, oh my god! I know <laughs> everyone has everyone has an oceanfront room and a panoramic. It's just it's incredible. It's like living on the ocean for the weekend. So <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Well, I want to um, let our listeners know that Christine has made a gener- very generous promo code for anybody that might be interested. So. If you want to know more about the What Now um, program and the retreats, the workshop, please visit christinecarlson.com. And I think you would click on the webinar. And the promo code is WN100ZN. Again, WN100ZN for anybody who might be interested. But going back to the concept, Christine, of like good grief, you know, we, 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 we do run from grief. I mean, we don't like it. It's, it's, it's a beast. And yet, you know, you shared about how you learn to be in it, which I think does allow for a quicker resolution to it. It doesn't mean that it's going to pass quickly, but the running from, you know, so often in the work that I do, which is a lot of addiction and trauma recovery, I see that the grief that has happened years ago was never addressed. And Mm. that is, you know, part of the problem, part of the catalyst of some of the conditions, you know, with addiction and trauma and anxiety and depression. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, John Welshans, who's a really, a, a he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and he, um, does a lot of grief work or has in his past. He wrote a book called Awakening from Grief. He was one of Richard's friends and, and he was also really instrumental in, in my grieving process and you know, spending many hours with me talking about how to go through this process. And one of the things he said to me, um, was, you know, don't jump out of the pot, even though it's hot too quickly. He said, you know, you, you really have to allow this process to, you know, you, you, you come on coming off of a 25 year relationship in marriage, there's going to be a big hole. You know, you gotta, you have to allow this process to heal that hole very slowly. And, and he said, keep in mind that it's very fertile ground. And, that really resonated so deeply in my heart and soul, the, the fertile ground aspect. And the more I thought about it and I thought about all the metaphors that we have in life for that, like the lotus blossom that grows out of the mucky swamp, you know, I, I just really, it really resonated deeply with me. And, and that said, nobody wants to prolong grief. And I was included in that, you know, in that group. <laughs> You mean you were normal, <laughs> human. 
Yeah, I mean, especially those people um, that are positive and that have lived happy lives. And but often people ask me, you know, how can you prepare for loss? And I always say one thing, and the only way that you can truly prepare for loss is in how you live every single day, because if you have been a positive person and you are wired positively, it doesn't mean you're going to bypass grief. It just means you're going to return to being positive, to living joyfully again. And I definitely noticed that with myself, but even more so, it's kind of like being really, really sick for a while. You know, like when you're, you know, when you have that, that stomach flu and you feel like you're going to die and you, you say, go ahead, I don't care if I die today. <laughs> and then suddenly you wake up when, and you're feeling great and you feel so great because you're, you just feel so much better than that horrible feeling. That's the same thing. Like I always wondered, like, how will I know when grief is gone? And I'm not kidding you, Lisa. One day I woke up and it was interesting. I came in late one night and I didn't even remember taking off my clothes or anything and getting into bed. And I woke up on Richard's side of the bed and I had never slept on Richard's side of the bed. And I have slept every night ever since on Richard's side of the bed. And that morning when I woke up, I, I knew that the majority of my grief was done and and it wasn't completely done, but the majority of my grief was done. And I felt like I was now like a new kind of wobbly deer on wobbly legs, like ready to sort of launch into my new life. And, and it just was one day. And that's, that's how I could describe it for people. Just one day, you'll just feel better and you'll just get, keep feeling better and better from there. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. You talk about the uh, the fertile ground, and the the metaphor that comes to mind is wildfires. You know that fires happen in in, in a very uh, short period of time. They take out a lot. They're very destructive, and yet the byproduct of an, uh, a fire, a wildfire, is this fertile ground, is this sacred territory uh, from which new life begins to spring pretty rapidly, actually. That's right. Like forests recede themselves actually through fire. <laughs> yes. 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 So, it, yeah. It, it's, um, well, and, and I've got the Mendocino thing going in my mind, you know. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> in Mendocino. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's uh, it gorgeous. Sure is. Yes. If any of our listeners, um, does not know where Mendocino is, it is really the, probably the most exquisite part of i think our coast in northern california and it's and it's rugged you know it's it is it's not uh it's not surf city there that's for sure no in fact our place is right along a cliff that there's like this long trail 13 mile trail just all along the cliffs of that coastline so it's it's really incredible i mean just so beautiful and that that was richard's favorite place a favorite place in the whole world to be Wow. And, and how beautiful that you are able to um, celebrate his legacy and his gifts and continue the work that you shared together in the place that you shared together, um, helping others um, rebirth themselves. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's just phenomenal how life really does work out. If, you know, if you're willing to take the divine lead, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Take the divine lead. <laughs> 
sometimes the divine lead doesn't look too promising, but it usually really is. You have to have a lot of faith. <laughs> yeah, you do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and the faith is, is challenging for some of us, but you know what, in the absence of a better option, at least it's an option. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think that as long as you can, you know, do your inner work and you can, you know, go through your processes and, and, you know, sometimes, I mean, most often it's like we have to break down in order to break through. I, I hope that people, I hope that we will learn a new paradigm in our genetic coding that we can, you know, learn as much from joy as we do from our suffering. I don't know that most people are there yet, but. <laughs> well, that's the challenge. To learn more about Christine Carlson and her magnificent work, uh, please visit christinecarlson.com. On Twitter, that handle is at Christine Carlson. And the hashtags that we are having fun with are hashtag what now and hashtag vibrant life. On Facebook, you can connect with Chris Carlson at Christine Terry Carlson as well. And once again, the promo code for the webinar is WN1OOZN. Again, that's WN1OOZN. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook. Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.